Welcome to the Wealth Matters Podcast, where investors come together to better understand how to build passive cash flow and create generational wealth without all the confusing mumbo jumbo. Here's your host and co-author of Amazon number one bestseller, Alpesh Pamar. Welcome to Wealth Matters Podcast. I am going to talk to someone who is sitting in Ireland right now. His name is Louis O'Connor. He's the founder and principal of Strategic Metals Invest. They are the only industry supplier in the world to offer private investors the option to purchase and profit from owning strategic metals. So we are going to talk about not gold, not silver, not platinum, not palladium, or even stones like diamond. We are going to talk about rare earth metals, which are actually being used in industry. So welcome, Lou. I am looking forward to this episode. Me too. Thank you so much, Alpesh. Uh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. So we start with this particular question with every guest. Tell us something interesting or funny about yourself. Okay, so um, maybe, well, I mean, maybe not necessarily interesting about me, but I think um, I've lived uh, through some interesting times already. Um, I was born in Dublin, uh, 1965, um, grew up in Ireland um, at a time where we had no real economic prosperity. We had, um, you know, Northern Ireland was still uh, sectarian warfare. Oh, yes. Um, and Ireland, you know, this is before technology and stuff took off. So Ireland at the time was just an island in the west of Europe. There was no foreign direct investment. So even right. though we grew up in what would be considered dark times, life was, you know, that was normal, like uh, family and love and compassion and stuff, you know, still existed in the community. So looking back now, Ireland is very it's got a lot of economic prosperity. All the big tech companies are in the world are here. Right. But um, it was just looking back now, you learn, you know, it just goes to show you, you don't necessarily have to have a lot of material things to be happy. We were still happy families, you know, it, it, to me, it, it tells me it's all about community and, and family. But what happened then, which I think, you know, what I think makes things interesting is, I've lived in a few countries since then. And the first country I went to live in at 19 years of age was West Germany at the time. This oh, is the wow. late 80s, before the wall came down. And right. that was really interesting too, because you had the Iron Curtain and you had a quarter of a million US soldiers and you had the British sector. Everything was much like it was since the end of World War II. And you could feel that in in the atmosphere and in, in, you know, you know the, the Russians were just over here, not too far away. and so that was interesting, you know, um, and I was there when the wall came down. I went to Berlin when the wall came down like that day, everybody drove up and and saw that reunification, saw what it was like for a country to be separated and divided for, you know, 40 years, East Germany, West right. Germany. And then um, I went to Panama, Central America, and um, I was there when the canal was handed over um to, from the American administration who'd built the canal to the Panamanian um, in this administration. So I don't 
necessarily want to say I'm interesting, but I've certainly lived and and witnessed some interesting geopolitical changes. That's great. So now let's talk about investment. What assets do you invest in personally and why? Uh, hard assets, you know, um, uh, property, uh, like agriculture now. I know we're going to talk about rare earths today, but I'm hopefully in about another year from now, I'll be talking to you about another, an agricultural opportunity that we're, we're, we're eight years in, seven or eight years in the works here testing. Um, but yeah, I like hard assets. I mean, it's sort of what I feel safe in, what I know best. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other great stuff out there, but I just try to stick to what I'm comfortable with, what I know, and I wouldn't be as well versed, you know, in other asset classes as well. So not not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just I wouldn't be as well informed as I'd like to be. So I stick to to what I know, you know. That's so great. And this podcast is all about alternative investments. We don't talk about stocks and options, et cetera, because we believe in the real assets, right? The, the assets like agriculture, real estate, all the metals which you can touch and feel, right? That is an in, inherent value in those. So let's talk about this because uh, I, you and I already mentioned rare earth metals. What exactly are they? Right. So they're they're pretty much, we touch them, see them, feel them every day. The devices we're, we're using right now probably have 12, 13 rare earths. So wow. they're, in, they're intrinsic to how we live and how we power our daily lives. Somebody said recently, which is a very good way of describing rare earths, right, was if all the gold disappeared tomorrow, it wouldn't really make much difference. Right. If all the rare earths disappeared, we wouldn't have it. We wouldn't have smartphones. We, they're in all modern technology. Wow, wow. We wouldn't have electric cars. We wouldn't have solar power. We wouldn't have wind turbines. Planes would fall out of the sky. Rockets that are going into space wouldn't go in. So they're they're intrinsic to how we live our daily lives. They're literally they're in wearable medical devices, aviation, uh, nuclear shields for reactors. Um, even they're you being used now in cancer treatments in in their sort of ox, ox, oxide uh, powdered form. So, right, wow. Mm. So what you are telling me that if the rare earth is not there, Elon Musk won't be the richest man on the earth because there is no EV car, no solar panel, and no rockets. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yeah, he'd still be in South Africa doing <laughs> manager of. A a furniture shop or something. <laughs> so what, can you describe what this rare earth are? What are they called? Like we know gold, uh, silver, platinum. What what are this? Is it lithium? Is it what? Uh, no, it'd be um, uh, germanium, um, uh, hafnium, rhenium, praseodymium, neodymium. Um, there's 17 rare earths. Okay. And only 10, we only offer 10 as an investment okay. because seven are not all that rare, despite the name. This, this there can be found in abundance. And also the sort of demand for, you know, some of them is not as great as others. The ones we focus on are the ones that are in all modern technology um, and, and, and will play a critical part in this transformation to, uh, you know, a, a sort of a carbon neutral um, world, you know, uh, yes. wind power, solar power, 
electric car. So those basically we focus on the ones where demand is 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 increasing um, and they're sort of critical and they're also limited in supply. But um, yeah, there's there's about nine or ten that are really intrinsic to our daily lives. So uh, full disclosure, I am. Um, as of today, I am going through the evaluation myself, right, and due diligence to buy this from your company, right, because I want to invest in, I believe in rare earth, uh, or kind of started believing in it, and, and the one thing which you pointed out is the carbon neutral. I want to look at the, I want to leave this world in safe hands, in better hands for our kids, our grandkids. And, and so we got to start focusing on being carbon neutral, how we can help the planet, how we can help the environment. So this is very important. Where where are those uh, rare earth um, can be found in the world okay. right now? Where, where right. are they found? In which right. country, which country controls the most? Sure, yeah. Look, that's a very, very key question in terms of, you know, investing in rare earths right there's a there's a story i'm about to tell you alpesh which is 100 true people can do their due diligence they find this out but i would i would be confident to say that there's probably no more than about 200 people in all of america now i'm i'm in europe but we're, i know your audience right. is mostly in the u.s so so I'm not picking on America, but I'm just I'm just okay. focusing a bit on the U.S. Yes, there's only about 200 people in the U.S. that really know the story with rare earths, because if if more people knew, there'd be more people sort of up in arms or investing in them, you know. So I'm going to just take you back in time a little bit first, right? In the 1980s, the U.S. was producing 60 percent of the world's rare earths, Whoa. not very far not very far from where you are in Mountain Pass in California. Wow. At that, at that time, China was producing about, the next after the US was China, producing less than 12%, right? Now, fast forward to today, the US, um, China, sorry, is producing more than 80% of the world's rare earths. They, That's they unfreaking believable, whoa. Yeah, and the US, Although they're still producing some in Mountain Pass, they still send their raw materials to China to be separated. They have oh. to be separated and they have to be refined. But here's the reason it makes sense as an investment, Alpesh, right? Um, I think what happened, most people would agree, is that China understood probably before Europe and the US that rare earths were going to be the backbone of manufacturing in the 21st century. They realized this in, in the late 80s. And I know they did because the Chinese premier at the time, Deng Xiaoping, he made a statement, you can Google this, you'll see it in 1987, standing on a mine in China, he said, the Middle East has oil, China has rare earths. Mm. It was a very shrewd statement because at the time, the US was the dominant market leader, right? right. Now, what happened next was China legitimately partnered with foreign companies like Mountain Pass in California. In fact, they still have an 8% share. And they legitimately moved all the, ref the separation and the refining to China. Oh, all my of God. Wow. So 87% of the refining. See, that's what makes them expensive. This is a masterstroke. A masterstroke, a geopolitical strategy. Yes. 30 years in the making that's now coming to fruition. So what happened was the U.S. at the time, the government said, look, 
you know, sort of extracting and separating and refining these these materials. It's a dirty process. It's complicated. Why don't we let China do it cheaply and they can sell the raw materials then to our manufacturers cheaply? So they sort of allowed China to do it. I think not realizing how big a part they were going to play. Remember, technology in the internet hadn't really kicked off at mm -hmm. this stage. Yes. So what happened then was um, the U.S. created a an agency. It was called the Bureau of Mines, and its job was to make sure U.S. remained competitive, right? Mm -hmm. To keep an eye on things, if you will. Right. Then what happened was this agency was defunded in 1996, <laughs> and it only. Um, it only has existed on paper since then. Right. And so the US lost its sort of competitiveness, Europe as well, and China just right. basically ran away with the circus in rare earths, you know? So now China's won the war, they dominate the, the rare earths uh, global, global market. That's crazy. So basically what you are telling me, not only China controls rare earth, but they also control the separation, the entire process end to end. And of course, they have been buying gold as well. So pretty much they 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 are going to be the market leader or the one of the strongest economy in coming years. Yeah. Well, as you said there, Alpash as well, where are they, right? Um you're you're absolutely right. Though. Critically, China does 87% of the refining. Now, there's plenty of rare earths in the US. There's rare earths in Australia, Japan, Canada. And the U.S., in fact, in a very rare occurrence of agreement, both President Trump and President Biden both signed executive orders for America to wean its dependence off China. But the only thing they ever probably agreed on. And the U.S. <laughs> now, you know, in the, the, the Defense Inflation Act and Europe has the European uh, Rare Rare Metals Act, the U.S. And, and Europe has woken up to the fact that they can't they cannot just be one country you know controlling the supply chain so they're now making steps to increase production in the us to maybe open a refining facility but that's gonna you know it took 30 years for china to dominate it'll take another 20 25 years for for the us and europe to get competitive again and as we're as you have learned um investors can profit from this geopolitical we can basically hack China's geopolitical strategy. Interesting. So, uh, and uh, so this is a great explanation and story. Why do you call them as strategic metals? Good question. Yeah. So, um, strategic metals invest is the name of my company, and strategic metals is an umbrella term for rare earth metals. Also, rare earth elements. Elements are the um, the powdered form, what we call the oxides. And, you know, in the U.S., I think people are calling them technology metals. Uh, even now, some of them are being called green metals. So it's basically an umbrella term for the, the rare earths that are intrinsic to how we power and how we live our daily lives. Got it. And how, um, how can investors own strategic metals? Okay, so we don't. We are, and this is fact. I mean, I'll always tell you if this is opinion or fact. But we are the only industry supplier in the world that offers rare earths to private investors. It's a relatively new alternative asset class, and we've only been offering this to private investors since two thousand and ten. So for twelve years, 
uh, in Europe. So most people in the US have not heard about us. Now, the most important thing about that, Alpesh, is, in fact, the, the, this might sound a little bit um, contradictory, but the most important part of our business is not the investment side that I'm talking about now. The most important part is that we are an industry supplier. Oh. 85% of our business activities on a daily basis are buying rare earths from producers, mostly in China, okay. and then reselling them to an industry buyers. We've got clients in more than 70 different countries. Nice. Why is that so important? Because the only end buyer for these products are industry buyers. So you've got to be buying them from somebody who has access to that industry. And that's who we are. We have access to, I suppose, our, our our two guarantees, if you will, our warranty statement to the investor. One is we guarantee you're buying industrial grade, high value uh, assets or raw materials that can be liquidated to the industry or any industry. And the second thing we guarantee is when you're ready to liquidate, we will sell them to an industry buyer for you. So we also provide the exit. That is such an important point, right? Because this is not like gold, silver, or platinum, where you can just buy it from the street and sell it anywhere in the world without any restrictions, right? This is very important that if you are buying this thing, of course, you can't store it at your home. And then second, you should be able to sell them. So this is great. Um, you mentioned 85% of your activity is with industry then why uh, if you are if you already have buyer and supplier why offer it to investors why why go through this good question well I suppose a few reasons but the one the, the bit the first one comes to mind is is why not um we're in that unique position that we were we we you know we're an industry supplier and um also um Investors are interested. There's, you know, investors are always interested in, you know, alternate and a new. You know, we still live in an age where there are new and exciting, you know, asset classes being discovered or being created all the time. And as you mentioned, the, it the it, it's the same sort of paradigm as buying gold or silver. It's just another. It's just another metal. So. Um, Previously, it was sort of, you know, you know, closed, you know, mostly just industry buyers. But we have that unique capability that we can we can guarantee the authenticity of the metals that we're selling and we can guarantee to liquidate them. So investors like it. And two, it's a I know in America, they like to use this term. It's a side hustle. Yes. <laughs> now, I wouldn't call it a side hustle, but it's a it's a separate, independent uh, income stream. And actually, we get two two separate businesses out of it because we also have a storage facility in Frankfurt. It was a it was a um, a bunker, bunker in World right? War II. Yeah. yeah, and uh, we converted it. It's got two floors below ground, one above. Over two hundred metric tons of rare earths are there. It's the largest sort of inventory of rare earths anywhere in the world outside China. So the the wow. it's a bank level secure vault. It's a tax free zone. It's just like you're storing in Switzerland or Singapore. So that's the second. So we've two separate businesses as a result. Our main business by as a commodities trader. Second business uh, offering um, rare earths to private investors. Third business storage. Got it. 
So uh, let me throw you a curveball. Would there be a conflict of interest between your company and investors? Like, let's say the demand of the rare earth goes through the roof. In that case, would you just stop selling it to investors because you know it's crazy demand in industry? Or second, if the demand goes to the roof and you force, uh, and, and there is not much supply and you force investors to sell saying that, oh, these companies or these industries need uh, rare earth metals right away. Right. Well, I mean, the first part of the question, demand is increasing. And, and like one metal, for example, gallium, um, it's estimated that the demand is somewhere between six and nine times higher than supply. Oh, wow. And it's not going to change anytime soon. So there's only a finite, you know, uh, available every year as well. But, um, you know, we, you know, as a business, um, we don't really, you know, we, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be any conflict because on the one hand, we're buying rare earths, we sell them to an industry buyer. And then if a, an investor wants to buy, they own the assets. I mean, they buy them from us, but they own them and we can't force anybody to sell and we wouldn't. If somebody wants to sell, we'll make them an offer. And if they accept the offer, we'll buy them. So I suppose the, the key thing to remember is the prices for the investor is, is aligned with the industry prices. So it's, it's, there's no advantage to more advantage to us buying them from a supplier or if we decide if, if one of our investors wants to sell. It's exactly the same sort of, uh, you know, profit margin for us as well. So, um, you know, prices are going up all the time, you know. I see. And how can investors profit from this? Well, um, the market is driven purely by supply and demand. Oh, every market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no correlation or there's no, you know, there's no um, anything other than the pure supply and demand. And I give you three scenarios and they've all, there's a precedent for each one, right? Let's say like the, the safest bet is that you're buying an asset that is in huge demand. I mean, the other thing in the last six months, Things have really changed again because of Russia invading Ukraine. Europe has now decided to wean its dependence off Russian oil and gas. How are they going to do that? Wind, wind, wind turbines and solar power and electric cars. So we already had this massive global demand because of, you know, for modern technology, um, you know, aviation industry. And we we're already sort of going through this transformation to a, um, a, you know, a greener, a greener way to power our lives. And now it's just, you know, skyrocketed. You know, gallium, for example, is up 50 percent every year. The last five years, it's already up 40 percent this year. Um, so, you know, it's that's how you profit. You, you, you own an asset where demand is increasing and there's a finite amount being 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 made now the other two examples where we saw prices really really increase was in 2010 there was a territorial dispute between japan and china mm -hmm. and japan sort of um kidnapped or held hostage a, a, a captain of a chinese Shit. fishing trawler oh yeah because they were fishing in territory you know disputed waters yeah, the japan owned yeah yeah in retaliation for that china 
restricted the quotas on rare earths. Within yeah. the space of a few months, we saw some of them go up five times. It was like crypto, they went they five X in a few months. Yeah. Now, ultimately, what happened then was Europe, Japan, and the US took, you know, China to the, the WTO. They won the case, but in the meantime, you know, investors made a lot of money, right? So there's a precedent for China playing what we call the economic rare earth card, right? The other thing which is actually happening now and why we see great sort of um, potential over the next three to five years. The other thing is China has big plans for electric cars, solar power and wind turbines themselves. And they last year we saw shortages, meaning they were exporting less because they needed them for their own supplies. We're going to see more of that. China are threatening, you know, if the trade trade tensions escalate, you know, or things escalate between maybe Taiwan and the US, they'll do that again. So I think on a very good day, you'll see good, healthy returns. But if China plays the economics card or just sort of restricts quotas for their own needs, you'll also see, you know, prices increasing, which is good for investors. Right. So uh, let's talk about, because everyone knows about gold and silver. Can you compare gold and silver versus rare earth metals? Yeah, well, gold is up 7% in 10 years and air metals are up 34% a year. <laughs> From an investor <laughs> point of view, that's all you need to know. I mean, there's something going on. Gold, I think, you know, the perception and the attachment right. to gold is changing. For example, it's done, I would say. down 20%. <laughs> Since March. And can you gold, believe during inflation, gold should be actually, going up? Yes. Almost everything is down. Gold moved with the stock market. So I, I was like, this is done now. People don't believe yeah. in gold. <laughs> yeah. Just purely from, you know, purely from an investor point of view, like, uh, you know, as I said, 10 years. But even if you look in the last five years, we're up an average, you know, of 34% a year, you know, compared to gold is just, I think maybe 11% or something in the last five uh -huh. years. So, so, you know, the numbers, the numbers don't lie, you know, and, and why is that? It's because these metals have an intrinsic value. You know what I think as well, Alpesh? Rare earths weren't available before. And if 20 years ago, people had the option of buying gold or buying rare earths, they would, they would at least have bought both, you know? Right. And that's why I'm talking to you today is, you know, we're in Europe. We've been 30 years in business as a, a, a rare earths trader in, in, in Europe. We've been 12 years offering as an asset class. We're expanding the business. We're expanding our storage. And, uh, you know, we want to we want to reach out and, and talk to people in North America as well to let them know that you can actually do this safely and securely. That's great. So can we talk about risk? Is this a low risk or high risk investment? Mm -hmm. It, it 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 appears to be high risk, but it's not. It's it's low risk, and I'll tell you why. One, because one, you're buying authenticated assets. I mean, they they are industry industrial grade assets, but mostly it's low risk because they have a value. They're in demand. There's always right. demand for rare earths. If one of our investors wants to liquidate, we'll make them an offer on the same day. If they accept that offer, they'll be paid in three to four working days. So you don't even need to give 30 days notice. They're highly, highly liquid. Um, and look, I don't think there's anybody in the world would argue that demand for, let, let instead of focusing on the rare earth for a sec, let's focus on the materials that they're in, the applications, right? 
Right. So all modern technology, smartphones, computers, uh, wearable medical devices, aviation, solar power, wind power, electric cars. Um, do you, does anybody think those demand in those industries is going to go down? I don't think so. Yeah, nope. And in fact, you mentioned um, you mentioned Elon Musk. He made a very interesting comment as well about rare earths and other commodities, which is rather than just invest in Apple or in Tesla, have a look at the commodities that they need for their products and invest in them as well. So you're, you're going further down the value chain. And this is exactly what rare earths are. There's 12 rare earths in an iPhone. So you're investing in the raw materials that are needed in everyday life. Oh, that's very interesting. What can go wrong? Okay, so um, with supply and demand, like just to give you an example, you, you need indium, one of our rare earths, to swipe your phone, right? It's possible that somebody will come with a better technology or a better, you know, metal maybe to swipe your phone. And all of a sudden it won't be as in demand as it was. So in that case, you might see, um, you know, prices go down. The other thing that could happen, which might happen as well, right, is, um, you know, as I say, the US and Australia produce more rare earths, the Chinese could easily sort of, you know, flood the market with one day. Yeah. They have 50% of it's, the world's reserves. It's like reserve. oil market when Saudi Arabia tries to control, right? OPEC will flood exactly the market. Exactly the same, yeah. yeah. That's the more likely scenario because in terms of applications, like they're discovering new applications. We're only at the, the, the beginning of, of the potential for rare earths. Just, just last week, actually, engineers in, um, in, in MIT in the, in the US, um, they've created this technology. It's basically like, it's like a skin. It's made out of rare earths. It's a liquefied form of rare earths. It's a wearable me medical device that in real time works as a sort of a, um, a monitor, a wireless communicator. It can monitor bodily functions. It can sort of um, um, uh, administer painkillers. It can administer many different things. Wow. So, you know, there's different applications coming out all the time. So let's talk about the last question before uh, we uh, move on to the next section. What percentage of your portfolio contains strategic metals? Cool. Well, I started with 5%, and that was in 2017 when okay. I first discovered rare earths. And, you know, the story, if you will, has just been getting better and better. Um, I'm now up to sort of 15, 17%. Wow. And my goal is, and this is probably the, the you know, the key thing is I'm going to stay in till 2035 and beyond because we're just, hitting the perfect storm like china has it's taken 30 years for china to dominate it's taken 30 years for the west to realize how did we let this happen and it's too late china's already won they've won the war in rare earths they already dominate the market right. and they are just going they you know we, we in the west are pretty much now waiting in line for what china will 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 sell after they've satisfied their own quotas so there's um, a very interesting few years ahead. Oh, this is great. 
Any advice for beginner investors? Oh, I think uh, mentors, you know, um, rather than, I mean, obviously um, you can, you know, you're curious, you want to learn as much as possible, but I think you can't um, really put a value on uh, finding someone you, you can trust uh, to tell you the truth. Um, and there's plenty of good people out there, you know, nowadays with technology, it might be a close friend, it might be a family member, but it might be somebody, you know, just like we're talking here today, people that are sharing, you know, about something you might not have heard before. Uh, I think, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know if mentor is the right word, but certainly, you know, if you have a good idea or you want to make an investment, talk to at least one or two or three people you trust before you do it. No, that's a great advice. So yeah, yeah, I, I call it as mentors or partners, right? Yeah. So this is great. How can my listeners reach out to you? Good. So um, the website is Strategic Metals Invest. They can go there directly or they can email me, uh, louis, L-O-U-I-S, at strategicmetalsinvest.com. And, and mention, you know, that they um, had heard, they'd listened to the podcast and, you know, through Alpesh and Wealth Matters and and we take good care of them, you know. No, thank you so much. Yeah, so if you reach out to Lou, definitely mention or maybe email email me as well so that I can make the intro. So Lou knows that, you know, you guys came from Wealth Matters and he will take care of you personally. Thank you so much, Lou, for your time. Thank you, Alpesh. Good, good talking to you. Thank you. Same here. Thanks for listening to the Wealth Matters podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes so others can enjoy the show too. Have a great week and happy investing.